cheesesteaks, tomato pie, and an all-purpose slang term. This week, we're in Philadelphia. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week, we make a trip to a different foodie city and try the dishes and drinks that make it unique. This week, it's Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And my guest for this episode is Matt Shalizi of Philadelphia City Food Tours. Matt's a foodie tour guide who's originally from New Jersey but came to Philly to go to school at Temple and never left. Now he takes guests all over the city to learn about the cuisine that makes Philly, Philly. We had a great talk about Philly foods like cheesesteak, of course, and the cheese whiz that tops them. Matt told me a great story about how cab drivers and a rumor about the meat in cheesesteaks helped to popularize the sandwich in the city. And we talk about the glory that is the tomato pie. I love a similar item called pizza strips, a local dish in Rhode Island. So Matt and I compare notes on tomato pie and pizza strips. We also talk about how Philadelphians love their pretzels and Italian food. And we talk about the famous Reading Terminal Market. Plus, Matt tells me some of his favorite places to eat and drink in Philly. And before we get to that, if you could do me a favor, if you've been enjoying the show, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get Destination Eat Drink. Just takes a minute and I say thank you to you in advance, but now I'm starving. So let's eat. Destination Eat Drink. Matt from City Food Tours, thank you so much for being on Destination Eat Drink. It's a pleasure to talk to you today about Philadelphia. I I think that, you know, we have to start at the place where everyone thinks about Philly and food. The intersection of food and Philly is cheesesteaks. So let's broach the subject of cheesesteaks. What is it that makes a good cheesesteak in Philly and what makes a poor one? So I get this question all the time, probably more of this than any other question is about the cheesesteaks. So, and we latch um, onto them pretty quickly um, because of course we do it better than anywhere else. Um, but also Philadelphia, the pH level in the water here is actually ideal for cheesesteaks. But similar to how like you New Yorkers think that they're pizza is better than anywhere else. They're yes. bagels or anywhere else. It, the, a big part is the water because when you cook, water is a major ingredient for almost everything that you're, you're cooking with. So so it just works really well for our cheesesteaks and also with our pretzels, which we'll get into as well. But cheesesteaks was actually, it, it, it wasn't an accident the way that it started, but it was two brothers in South Philly that originally had a hot dog stand. And after a long time of just serving hot dogs, like, you know what, let's do something a little bit different. So they got some beef and they chopped it up. And to spice it up, they mixed some uh, fried onions in there. And then the only thing they had to put it on was actually a hot dog bun. Mm. So, so that was kind of the start of this new sandwich. Actually, they didn't put cheese on it first. So it was just called a steak sandwich. And it was uh, the cab drivers that helped get that first business going to them. And as they would 
bring customers into their, their cars and they would drive them around, they would smell this new steak sandwich and they would <laughs> circulate these new smells around South Philly and the Italian market as well that people started to crave these new steak sandwiches. Um, funny enough is they've, they've been pretty strategic with how they've pushed their business forward over the years. And a, a funny example of that is in the Great Depression, um, when it was it was hard to get big rations of beef and other meats, that uh, they were able to, to still get the inventory that they needed, but people were starting to spread the rumor that they weren't using real uh, beef; they're using horse meat instead. Oh, okay. So what they ended up doing was they took an ad out in a newspaper and said, "Hey, if you can prove that we're using horse meat, we'll give you ten thousand dollars." Oh, yeah, they got so business for people trying to prove they're using horse meat instead of real beef because I mean, $10,000 even today, I mean, it's a great prize if you could win that, but Great Depression, I mean, that was life-changing. So so people wanted to try to prove them wrong, um, so they got a lot of great business out of it, but later on, they came out, actually, that I'll give you one guess. Who do you think started that whole rumor of the horse meat? The the vendor themselves. You got it. <laughs> That's just it. Yeah, the brothers themselves. They're the ones who started that rumor. So they've been using their strategic wit in terms of, of keeping their business alive. Um, and nowadays, they also rely on competition to keep themselves alive because these brothers were Pat and Harry Oliveri. So they now have what's now known as Pat's, the originator of the cheesesteak, um, right across the street from Gino's. A lot of people think of Pat's and Gino's as like one entity. Um, when in fact, if, you, if you've been there, you'll notice they're actually two separate locations on the same corner. They face one another. Um, it's, it's almost like a... a a Times Square intersection where there's like triangles, one on one corner and one on the other. And they look completely different from one another. Or Pat's, um, it's not maybe as well lit as Gino's, but tourists and some locals will go to both. They're open 24 7. There's always lines at both. But, uh, but yeah, we just love our G6 so much. And so, yeah, so it didn't start off by accident per se, but, uh, but that story is just such a Philly thing. And then later on, we actually, um, once we started adding cheese, it wasn't until about like 20, 30 years after the steak sandwich started that we started adding cheese onto it. And the Italians that they were, they gravitated towards provolone. That was their cheese of choice. Yeah. yeah. And then once cheese movies came out, I mean, it just went insane because when you look at something, I mean, so if you're not from Philadelphia, cheese was think of almost like a molten kind of liquidy like cheese um almost like you're gonna melt like velveta on top of your nachos almost something like that so uh so it worked really well with our cheese sticks and that's why it just it just what makes it what it is and you can't use that cheese whiz for anything like you can't make a grilled cheese out of cheese whiz you can't put it on pizza well i'm sure you can i'm sure people come in but but cheese whiz has like a specific type of food it's supposed to go with and a cheese steak is perfect for that because it looks like this this gourmet rich cheese that looks like you were like slaving over your stove all day making it when in fact it comes out of the can looking exactly the way it does when you eat it all you do is just you just have to heat it up a little bit and there you go so when we had our steak sandwiches and then we started adding cheese and then cheese whiz came out you're we're like you know what this is all we really need so yeah, so cheese sticks are really big for us. What a lot of people don't know is that uh, people who grew up and live in Philadelphia, 
a lot of them actually prefer to get their cheese steaks kind of like on the outskirts of Philly, um, where a lot of people who visit Philadelphia, they'll just assume the best cheesesteaks are in like center city or maybe old city where a lot of the attractions are. Um, but if you, if you come by Philadelphia and you want to find a great cheesesteak, I mean, you can go within center city, South Philly, North Philly, West Philly. There's really nowhere you're going to get like a bad cheesesteak per se, but a lot of people don't realize you can actually just go into any old pizza shop and they'll have a whole menu of different types of cheesesteaks to get as well. So you don't, have to go to one of those like big main places like Jim, Tony Luke's, Alessandro's. I mean, those, if you want to, certainly go, go ahead and do so. Um, but on our food tours, we take our guests into a place on 13th Street called Zio's. It's a regular pizza shop. It's like that mom pop type shop. You might walk right by it and not think that that's a great place to go to get a real Philly cheesesteak. Um, but when our guests have those cheesesteaks, they absolutely love them. So I got a question about the cheese whiz because I'm familiar with cheese whiz. I, I was a college student at one point and, <laughs> you know, I might've taken a shot of cheese whiz straight out of the nozzle. But the, <laughs> the question is, do they actually spray the cheese whiz onto the cheesesteak from the can or do restaurants have like vats of cheese whiz and they're taking a spatula and spreading it out? How does the cheese whiz actually get onto the meat itself? It's actually more of the latter, where people don't don't know there's many types of cheese whiz, where cheese whiz can come in that spray can. We don't use that here in Philadelphia. Um, I can't even remember the last time I saw I might have been like a kid the last time I saw that. But um, yeah, we use it. It's, it's more of like a liquidy consistency, and we heat it up. So um, it is usually refrigerated. Um, so think of like if you have like that, that – small jar of Tostitos like cheese that you want to put on top of your nachos, mm. like a queso sauce. It's kind of like that. Um, of course, it's not chunky at all. Um, it's not, I actually have never seen anywhere put like slices of jalapenos or maybe some like pico de gallo. The places don't really do that. So they're cheese whiz because cheese whiz is its own uh, ingredient uh, that places like to use and keep, they know that people want the whiz just for what it is. Now, I know Philly has something called a tomato pie. I think I know what this is because I lived in Rhode Island for a long time and we had something there called pizza strips. And I think it's very similar. But um, describe for me, Matt, what exactly a tomato pie is and where would we go to get one? Tomato pie is a huge thing in Philadelphia. And I didn't realize how big it really was until I would say a few years after I moved to Philly. I mean, we're just so proud of our tomato pie here. Um, and, and so brace yourself because when I first say what it is, you're going to think like, why would I ever want to eat that? It's, <laughs> it's true. It's essentially, it's essentially like a cheeseless pizza. And, and I, I also, on our food tours, I also give our cheese tasting tour. I absolutely love cheese. My friends know that if we have like a party, I need either to bring a cheese platter and or a pretzel platter because I need at least one of those there. But the tomato pie is so delicious because it's all about the sauce in some way. And every uh, restaurant or pizza shop, tomato pie, uh, maker, whatever they, they use in their sauces, all those seasonings and spices, they have, they think in their mind, they have all seasoned it to perfection. I mean, and maybe they have. Every place might season it a little bit different, but no matter where you go, it's all, quote, perfect. Um, but a tomato pie, it actually started because it has, and it, it always has had huge communities of Italians living here. 
even today, we have a big Italian market in South Philadelphia. Um, the region of South Philly does still have a lot of Italian families that are there. And for a long time with those Italian families, a lot of them were Catholic and they had very large families. So a, an easy and inexpensive way to feed everybody was with a tomato pie. And all they needed to do was get their dough from somewhere. And the dough is actually, it's, it's not the same as pizza dough. They actually use like baking bread dough. And they can get that from almost any like baker, like any bakery shop in, in South Philly. And all you really needed in addition to that was to make your sauce. So you can grow tomatoes anywhere, including like in your fire escape if you were short on space. Okay. And then season it as much as you wanted to. And there you go. You can basically have your tomato pie. Um, cheese was considered more of a delicacy. So that's originally why they didn't add cheese. But something about the Philly tomato pie that's different from elsewhere is that our tomato pie largely comes in the shape of a rectangle. That's because the shapes of the tables in the kitchens were the shape of a rectangle. So they would shape it after the shape of the table. And then you may have noticed that pizzas these days are usually circular shapes. So that also reflects when kitchens started to have more of a circular table in them. So the pizzas and tomato pies have largely shaped themselves after the shapes that our tables have. But you're, I'm glad to say that you, you've experienced it before up in the Northeast because um, there are different versions of tomato pie across the country. Uh, where I know like down south, their tomato pie, it's completely different than ours. What they call tomato pie, it's their, their crust is it's more of like a pie crust. So it can be hard and dense, a little bit thick. And they have like chunks of tomatoes and like a tomato sauce in there. And, and they have like this melted cheese, almost like a fondue. I've also heard sometimes they mix mayonnaise into that cheese sauce as well to put over the top of it. So theirs is very different. Um, places might also call it like a grandma pie. You said it was, uh, what's it called? A pizza strips. A pizza strips. <laughs> pizza strips. Um, so yeah, you can call it different things, but uh, I'm sure there are different areas across the country that you have almost like a different type of version of it somewhere. Yeah. Tomato pie is huge in Philly. Pizza strips are huge in Rhode Island. There's uh, in Utica, New York. There's also uh, tomato pie. Is, they even have a tomato pie festival. Last time I checked, they have a tomato pie festival in uh, Utica, New York. So, um, and, and they're good. I mean, when I moved to Rhode Island in, back in 1990 from the Midwest, I kind of turned my note. I was like, I don't know about this. Then I tried it and I was like, this is a genius invention. And every yeah. party you go to in Rhode Island, someone comes with a big box of pizza strips and they are delicious. I love them. Oh, man. No, you're completely right. And that's exactly the reaction I get when we give our food tours. Um, one of the, the stops we go to for our Flavors of Philly food tour is Joe's Pizza on uh, 16th Street to get our tomato pie. And once we sit down and the, the, uh, the chefs at the counter, they're just starting to fire up our slices for us. I'm talking about what to expect everybody with this tomato pie. We get a lot of a lot of uh, visitors on our tours who have never had tomato pie before or don't even know what it is. So as we're waiting for the slices to get warmed up, I'm starting to talk about what is tomato pie. And as I say, it's a cheeseless pizza, but it's all about the sauce. And I can see on their faces, they're like, you know what? I need more convincing than <laughs> right. that. What they're saying is not, it's not it, it wowing me in any way. But then once it comes out and they try it, I tell you, almost every person every time says, wow, like, this is a lot better than I was expecting. I never would have thought to order this, but now I want to get it again. I mean, some people say they still prefer to have cheese in their pizza. And I, I get it. But uh, 
that this made up by, I mean, definitely it's, it's something that, that we do really well here in Philadelphia. So uh, you mentioned, you know, the large Italian population in Philadelphia. Philly's known for having a huge Italian population. Is there a specific neighborhood where we would go to get great Italian food? And where's your favorite Italian food place in Philly? I mean, there's a lot of fantastic places to go to. Um, South Philly definitely, I would say, is the most prominent area that's known for its Italian culture. Um, you'll still see, I mean, Italian, it could be murals, Italian churches. There's a fe- Italian festivals down there, uh, the Italian market, certainly down there as well. So you'll find a lot of really cool places to go to. Um, and especially there's an area in South Philly called, uh, East Passion. And it's like, right. It's, like a, it's been a very up and coming area for such a long time that we are well past that. It's now such an established place. And one of the, uh, the older restaurants in Philadelphia, it's called Mara's. And, uh, they're, 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 uh, have amazing pizzas, tomato pies, Italian dishes as well. In South Philly, a restaurant you absolutely have to go to is Ralph's Italian restaurant. People talk about it all the time. It's actually America's oldest Italian restaurant. And oh, wow. it's been continuously running the same family. Um, it's been I, maybe I think like 120 years. So don't quote me on it. It's been something around it. It's, it's been a ridiculous amount of time that it's been running and operating. And the thing is, South Philly, you could walk around. I mean, it's a very large section of Philadelphia, but you could walk around those neighborhoods and it's, it feels mostly residential and it largely is. But a place like Ralph's, you could walk out the front of it. And yes, they have a sign saying Ralph's restaurant, but it looks just like a regular Italian row home. It doesn't from the outside look almost any different from a lot of other places. But when you walk inside, it's completely different. And that's what's kind of cool about South Philly is that we've renovated the inside of these houses to turn them into restaurants. So it still has that like South Philly Italian feel to it. Um, And sometimes they haven't even fully renovated it where you go into the bathroom of the restaurant and it is a spitting image of a bathroom from the row home right next door. Wow! (laughs) So it's pretty cool that it holds on to their culture in that respect. I love those kinds of places. And Philly's famous for the row houses. So that must be cool to go in there and enjoy uh, a meal at Ralph's. Um, Oh, definitely. You know, Philly is such a diverse city. What are some of the other ethnicities that have made Philly home? And what are some of the uh, things that they've added to the culinary scene in Philadelphia? That's actually something we're very proud of because, I mean, ever since our history, we're the city of brotherly love. We wanted people to live here. I mean, not that we always treated all of our communities the right way or the best way. Um, but we wanted people to live here no matter what language you spoke, what religion you practiced, what country you came from. So over the years, we got a lot of people coming to Philadelphia. So definitely a lot from Italy, from Ireland. We got a lot of Germans coming over the years. Um, there's even populations of Polish, Japanese. There's a big Korean population, Chinese, Latinx as well. And then uh, years ago, we got a lot of slaves from Africa coming here because us being a, a big colonial city, I mean, we had a lot of slaves that were put to work. And not that we're proud of that, um, but they are a big part of our fabric of the city. And you can even go in southwest Philly, and there's communities that still uh, show their, their African heritage in many ways. So, so we have a lot of different ethnic pockets in our in our city and these neighborhoods are so pretty prominent i would say not 
as prominent as maybe they used to always be. For example, the Italian market used to be all Italian, a little bit bigger than what it is now. And now there's kind of like an extension to it that's more of like a Mexican market in a way. There's a big Latinx community um, that's grown in that area as well. And I think they might have taken away some of what the Italian market was. Um, but it has grown the Mexican and Latinx community as well. Um, up in North Philadelphia, there's a section called Germantown because Germans had a big founding in our city as well. And we can thank them for our pretzels or what they called their pretzels as well. Um, and also our Chinatown, for example, too. I mean, I, it's, it's shrunk a little bit. And to be completely honest, COVID has affected it pretty negatively as well. They were hit very hard, uh, their businesses. So it is coming back. Um, we're very proud of our Chinatown, and we want to see it growing and thriving as much as it can. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's still a great destination in Philly. You mentioned pretzels, and I didn't even know that there was a large German community in Philly. I guess I could assume most uh, most cities in the U.S. have a German community, but I didn't realize pretzels were such a big thing there. Tell me about uh, pretzels in Philly. Where would we go to get them, and uh, what makes them so special? We've loved pretzels since the beginning. And again, it's because the Germans that when they came to Philadelphia, they had such a big uh, cultural influence on Philly because they came in the masses. And when they came and they loved their pretzels so much, and that was part of their culture, that when they became a part of Philadelphia's culture, we just started to love our pretzels so much. And pretzels started off getting traction in a city by guys who would walk around with little pretzel carts on wheels and they would just wheel them through their neighborhoods. Um, you don't really see that so much anymore these days. You might see at the stadiums in South Philly a little bit, but not as much throughout the rest of the city, really. And the thing is, if you wanted a pretzel from that pretzel cart, you had to like know that person's route in that neighborhood or know their timing or be lucky enough to stumble upon them. Um, so it, it was sometimes just based upon luck that you were able to get your pretzel for that day. But what happened is Philly really latched on their pretzels so much. And then uh, up popped a chain called the Philly Pretzel Factory. Um, do you have any of those near you? No, no, we don't. Okay. But uh, Philly Pretzel Factory actually started in Roxborough, Man Young area in Philadelphia, and it's grown quite a bit. It is a chain. They have almost 200 locations across the country now, going all the way down the coast to Florida. So they have grown quite expansively, um, and they really pushed pretzels much farther than I think anyone else had. Um, their pretzels are all made fresh behind their stand. So even though it is a chain, they make them all fresh at their stand. They are absolutely delicious. And people think it's just a pretzel. It's something special. But it's that perfect treat. That's exactly what you need when you don't even know that you need it. Um, <laughs> they only use three ingredients in their pretzels, which is water, flour, and yeast. And then, of course, the optional salt. Um, if you get it without a salt, we call it a baldy. Um, but uh, but like they... <laughs> They've uh, perfected how much salt to put it on, on there, though, because if you actually put too much salt on your pretzel, what happens is it draws out the moisture from within your pretzel. So the interior will get a little bit hard, but the exterior will then get a little bit slimy. So if anyone's ever had like a slimy pretzel, it's because there's been too much salt on it. But you won't have that problem at all, the Philly Pretzel Factory. Um, and uh, yeah, so they opened up in the early 2000s. And again, since they push pretzels so much, 
Um, they helped Philadelphia be founded as like a pretzel capital of the, the country where Philadelphians actually consume uh, 14 times more pretzels than your national average. Wow. So anytime you in, in Rhode Island have had one pretzel, I in Philadelphia have had 14, <laughs> which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, but also if you look at Pennsylvania as a whole, we have so many manufacturers of pretzels. Of course, we have the many uh, Philadelphia pretzel factory locations. We have the Amish and Lancaster. We have the Utz pretzel factory, even Hertz as well. But so many places making so many pretzels that the state of Pennsylvania actually produces 80% of the country's pretzels. So we are really big on it. And if you go into any household party or if there was something at like an office being catered, it's pretty common to see pretzels there. And if you're walking throughout uh, Center City, Philadelphia, You'll pretty often see someone with a hand truck carrying boxes of Philly Pretzel Factory pretzels to a party or something being catered. Let's move on to drinks, Matt. And uh, nothing would be more refreshing with a pretzel than a beer. What's the uh, what's the craft beer scene like in Philadelphia? Philly is such a wet city. Um, that, and we always have been. I mean, we even have a section of North Philly called Brewery Town. It's a neighborhood right along the Schuylkill River, uh, which for anyone, if you've ever seen it and didn't know how to pronounce it, it's Schuylkill, S-C-H-U-Y-L-K-I-L-L. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have gotten Schuylkill out of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you kind of have to hear it and just remember how it how it sounds. But, uh, but right along the Schuylkill River is a section called Brewery Town in North Philly. And that's because it was easy to access the waterways uh, many years ago for people to to bring in um, the, what they needed for their breweries. And then once prohibition happened, I mean, that changed the landscape forever in Philadelphia because a lot, I mean, so many bars and breweries shut down. Um, it ruined our reputation for being such a great and wet city for what we were. But Philly was actually on the forefront of being a really popular city for happy hour that during prohibition, what a lot of people would do is they would go over someone's house or meet somewhere in private and they would drink a lot. And then they would go out for their dinner reservation because you weren't allowed to drink out or at restaurants or anywhere. So they would drink in private and then that buzz would carry them through their dinner time. So that's kind of how we started getting big on happy hour. And then once Prohibition was over, a lot of Philadelphia bars realized that people like to drink and then go out to dinner. So we we kind of fed off of that. And we were a big city when it came to happy hour. And we still are. I mean, if you leave your office at five o'clock and you walk around anywhere, any neighborhood, there's a lot of restaurants and bars. You'll see a lot of activity inside, outside. People love to be going out and drinking. So it could be major bars, restaurants. We love going to microbrews. We have yards of evil genius with so many other places and around the city um and a lot of it is also our specialty cocktails we have a lot of them including our notorious fish house punch uh, which is pretty big at a number of places um and we also even have a few speakeasies like uh, hot sing laundromat we have one called uh, uh rainstead room and then another one that's called the franklin bar that was i believe it was remodeled a few years ago um, but when you walk it, even from the outside, you would never ex- look at it and think that is a bar. But if you know it and you walk in, like this is just a, a beautiful place to be. What about dive bars? Uh, do you have a favorite dive bar in Philly you like to go to? Nothing like having a, a, a cold beer out of a can and uh, shooting <laughs> a game of pool or playing some darts. Uh, where would I go for that in Philly? 
You know, there's a lot of dive bars. Really. And, and you don't have to walk far, no matter what neighborhood you're in, to get to at least a few. Um, I'll admit, a dive bar is not necessarily my go-to. Um, <laughs> but but a great area, if, if that's your scene to go to, is a section of Philly called Fishtown. And Fishtown and Northern Liberties are two separate neighborhoods within Philadelphia. A lot of people confuse the two. But those were areas that were up and coming for such a long time. And, and they are beyond that. They are well established, especially Northern Liberties. I would say that that might have had the biggest growth in property value and, and restaurants and people moving there than any other neighborhood in Philadelphia in the past decade. And it's such a fun place. And you get a lot of young people, young families, young professionals that are living there. Amazing restaurants and and ones that are getting like national attention like cafe le mod and soraya and laser wolf one of my personal favorites is apricot stone um it's an armenian restaurant and if, if you i brought my my armenian grandma there and she <laughs> absolutely she said it reminds her of what her mother used to make her when she was little so cool. i i love bringing my friends and family there but but the whole area of northern liberties and fishtown has such a diverse array of restaurants bars and you have upscale bars, you have dive bars, you have everywhere in between. Uh, and what I would love to do for city food tours is in the future, I want to create another tour that's going to, and don't steal this from me, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I want to create a retro bar food tour because there's a few places in, in that neighborhood that are almost like retro in some way. We have North Bowl, which is like a bowling alley, but designed to be made for like the 70s or so. Um, oh, we fun. have Frankfurt. Yeah, it's, it's an awesome place. We have Frankfurt Hall, which is like an outdoor bar. It has a lot of people who like to visit there. I would barcade, which is there as well. So it, that's the type of, of people who like to frequent there, whether they live there or not. But it's just a lot of energy, excitement, great drinking area. So I would love to create like a retro bar food tour in that area because it's the perfect place to do it. I would definitely buy a ticket to the retro bar tour, Matt. I'll tell you right up front, <laughs> put me at the I'll put me you, at the head of the I'll, line. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know once we get that going. I love the Reading Terminal Market. If if I recall correctly, years and years ago, I bought a, a mortar and pestle from a little kitchen utility shop in there. And that thing lasted me over 20 years before I finally ended up dropping it on a concrete floor and breaking it. Oh, I, right. <laughs> I would just say, man, when you go to Philly, go to the Reading Terminal Market and plan to spend at least a couple hours. You could spend easily half a day there and not see everything at the Reading Terminal Market. Uh, a lot of people, when they come to Philadelphia, a big destination for them to go to is the Reading Terminal Market. And they are right in doing that. And the market brings in so many visitors, locals, and other people who frequent Philadelphia. There really is something for everyone because locals will go there to do their food shopping. They'll go to the butchers. They'll get their seafood from there. They'll go get their produce. But then people who live around Philadelphia and come in for work, they'll go to the Reading Terminal Market weekly for lunches and then you also get the visitors to philadelphia who want to go there to check it out and try something unique and see what's there and the market really you can find anything and everything there and if you go to any particular vendor you might look at their menu and say oh this is a cookie stand that they just make cookies or i'll go to let's say one of the other stands that they just make 
um, corn dogs that you might think this is their specialty, but those chefs are capable of a lot. And I've seen the chefs on the rainfall market that they go on these other cooking shows and they are in these other competitions and they do really well on a national level. So it's amazing to know that we have this talent right here within our market and you can find in many international dishes, we have Kamal's Middle Easterners in there, Profi's Crepery, uh, we have a lot of Latin, just Indian places. We also have a lot of vendors that are Amish. So you have that, that like central PA flavor coming into our market, like Miller's Twist, the Dutch Amy Place, Hatfield Deli. We also have places that Philly is really known for. Um, for example, a lot of Philadelphians are so proud of like Hermione's and their cannoli, uh, Baylor's donuts, Bassett's ice creams, Denick's uh, uh, roast pork sandwiches and cheesesteaks and, and Carmen's as well. But then in addition to that, we also have little shops and other fun places like Flying Monkey Bakery. They have so <laughs> many delicious, amazing, creative treats and Fox and Sons that has their menu uh, crafted after almost like carnival food. So they have like corn dogs and cheese curds and poutine and funnel cake. So you can find a lot of amazing dishes in there and with city food tours we actually offer a scavenger hunt activity to do of the reading terminal market oh, fun it is such a fun thing to lead but i know that as the guest it's even more fun than that where we give you like a list of questions and you're in small teams maybe like two or three people per team and you run around the market answering all these questions and riddles and you have to physically be in the market to find the answers to these so once you're able to work your way through you make your way back to the front it's a timed activity but it's a great team building activity well we get a lot of uh, businesses that want to do it. We get schools that want to do it, even just friends that want to have a nice activity to do together as well. And, uh, it, and the winning team is a little edible, delicious prize for the market itself. So it really is a fun thing. And then we take some of our other tours into the Reading Summer Market as well to explore it and, and show some of the, our prize vendors in there. Matt, before I let you go, um, there's a question that's been eating at me for years. And I have family in Philadelphia. My nieces live in Philly. My brother and my sister-in-law live in Philly. And I still have not got an answer to the question of what does the word John mean? And for people who are listening, it's J-A-W-N. And I, I hear this all the time when people in Philly are talking, but I still don't understand exactly what John means. You know, and I, I wish I had an exciting answer for you. Um, <laughs> You're not going to solve this but, for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So, so lower your expectation on that. But uh, and this is just such a Philly thing is that I don't want to say it's out of laziness or forgetfulness. But it's like it's when someone doesn't think of, I guess, they, or they don't want to say what it actually is. So it's basically a substitute word for anything. It could be uh, an object. It could be a person. It could be a place. I think it could be a noun, which is anything in the world. And we don't feel like saying it. Like if you want to take a photo instead of, oh, go stand up against that tree, we'll say, oh, go stand up against that dawn. Because we just don't want to say the word tree. And, and you know what? And so take it for what it is. And that's, let me just tell you, it's a perfect Philly word. Oh, man. Okay. So, you know, you know that, that might be the best explanation that I've got so far. You know, it's just like <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't mean anything and it means everything at the same time. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I can live in those two worlds simultaneously. That's not a problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Matt from City Food Tours, uh, thanks for talking to us about cheesesteaks, tomato pies, and, and John's. 
And uh, it's been great talking to you. I look forward to taking a city food tour when we come to Philly next time. Great. Thanks so much. We'd love to have you. It's been an honor to talk to you today. Okay. There you go. Everything you wanted to know about Cheese Whiz, Tomato Pie, and John. Matt dropped a lot of info, so I've got links to Philadelphia City Food Tours and all the places he mentioned in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash DED146. Well, That'll put a bow on this episode of Destination Eat Drink. Next week, we are in Chile to sample Pisco and Caranto. Until then, check out DestinationEatDrink.com. I've got foodie travel guides for cities all over the world. If you're planning a trip, get over there for all your foodie info. I've also got the blog where I just posted an article about the legend of the spouting horn of the ancient lizard. And it's just as scary as it sounds. It's a great story. So check that out. That's at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and the man who licks the vats of cheese whiz clean, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink. A presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.